Thank you for joining us today in our session on modernizing backup and moving off of tape. Today we're joined by Jesse Martinick from Southern Oregon University, and also Peter Balazidis, who's a product manager here at AWS for Storage Gateway. I'm David Green. I'm an enterprise solutions architect here at AWS. Today we're going to talk about basically backup and how tape is used in the environment today and how we can migrate that to the AWS cloud without much change on the on-site setup. We're going to talk about the storage solutions that we have on AWS that you can use as a backup target. And also, Peter's going to show a demo of migrating from, disks, or from tape to AWS in less than 10 minutes. So it's super easy. And that's all fine with AWS talking to you and telling you what's possible. But Jesse's actually going to show how Southern Oregon University did this in production for real. So, so today we're here to talk about tape. And tape's been used with computer systems for about 65 years, with UNIVAC being one of the first ones. And well, it's not actually this kind of tape. It's really one of these. This is LTO. LTO's been out for about uh, since 2000 with LTO version 1. And it's really become one of the standards for tape-based backup for on-prem. So tape, who likes, who likes tape? Well, I'm a converted tape user. I grew up watching awesome spy movies and cool agency movies with these robots flying around and tapes, and I thought it was the awesomest thing ever. I thought, maybe one day I can build something like this in my career. And I was able to. I, I built out several enterprise-scale, multi-petabyte with thousands of LTO tape systems, and I thought it was pretty awesome. I achieved my childhood goals of building out cool systems with robots, and it was fun. As these tapes got filled with data, however, we had to take tapes out of the library and vault them to make space for new tapes. And it was easy at first, right? We moved some tapes out, put them in the vault, hopefully keep it organized so you know where they are, you can find them later for the resource. Life's easy. And then quickly, this became my life. Scaling out vaulting systems, having data center floor space for libraries, and what I thought was once super awesome ended up being not as fun as I thought it would be. So let's take a step back. Like, what do people want out of tape backups, and why is tape used? So we talk to lots of customers, and we see different use cases. Some customers want to write the tape to keep it on-prem to either protect against perhaps accidental deletion of data on their storage systems, or to also maybe write older content to tape to keep the expensive disk used for online active content. Some other customers use tape for geographic redundancy. They write the tape, they copy the tape data off-site, maybe to a different geographic region, and then when they need tape restores, they execute a job, tape gets put on a truck, drives it back in. And there's multiple cases. And when people think about tape, they typically think it's pretty inexpensive. But typically, the cost people think about is the actual tape cartridge cost, but not the additional cost that may come with maintenance or a library. And there's some costs involved with even licensing. So perhaps you buy a tape library, and you can't use all your slots unless you license what you have sitting in front of you. You can't even use them in some cases. Um, there may be costs if you have multiple tape copies going off-site and managing that. But one of the biggest things, not only financially, but just from an operational standpoint, I think it's often overlooked, is tape lifecycle management and cost there. So like I mentioned, LTO1 came out in the year 2000. And now we just um, heard about the announcement of LTO8 in the Q4 of 2017 here. And what happens as you write data 
on all these versions, and you ideally want to keep data modern, right? So we see customers maybe wait a few versions before migrating over, but you essentially waste capacity of your library and as you do these transfer jobs, and it's not easily attainable if you have hundreds or thousands of tapes. So we develop our, um, our products based on feedback, and this is something that we heard often from the field. So we really wanted to make things easier for customers. So with AWS Storage Gateway, customers only have to manage really two things. So one thing is backup applications, which you were already managing in the beginning. And what's great with Storage Gateway is you can use your existing backup applications and write to the Storage Gateway, because it appears as an LTO library, an LTO drives, and your application doesn't know any different. Other things for management may be the virtual hardware that you're running on site, because you download the storage gateway as a virtual appliance, so you're running that um, hypervisor, so whether it's VMware or Hyper-V or whatnot. And then perhaps managing storage services. So if you're running to S3, you might want to have that automatically lifecycle down to Glacier or something similar. And at AWS, we provide a ton of building blocks across the entire ecosystem. And with storage, today we're going to focus on the AWS Storage Gateway family. And specifically, as a target on the cloud, we're looking at S3 and Glacier. So why are customers switching to this? Um, like I mentioned, you can use the same backup application. And the backup application doesn't know any different. We see customers also write data to on-premises tape and also write data to the virtual library that sends it to S3 or Glacier in a region that you choose. S3 and Glacier have 11 nines of durability, so your data is ridiculously durable, and it's very safe. And S3 has been general availability for over 11 years now, so we have experience running at scale. And it's very secure. You can easily audit who's accessing data and set policies around, around that. And one of the biggest things for migrating to the cloud, not only for storage gateway, but cloud in general, is it allows your business to really focus on your core competency. Because most likely your business isn't about managing tapes and making sure everything's running. It's really delivering product for customers or educating students and just really focus on what your business does. So with its cloud, you pay as you grow. So let's look at the old world. In the old world, let's say you bought some storage. It's a petabyte of raw space. Once you raid and format, let's say you get about from one petabyte down to about 800 terabytes. You don't want to allocate 100% usable storage out to your application. So let's say you allocate out for available use 600 terabytes. But what if your application is only using 400 terabytes today? So you're essentially wasting money on capacity. You have um, power and cooling and everything associated with that. And what's great with AWS storage services in the new world here is you only pay for what's used. So as you add data, you pay for what you add. And the other way is true, too. As you delete data, you pay less. And it's just what makes sense and what's fair. With S3, you can choose your types of storage that you land on. So there's three main offerings for the object store. There's S3 Standard, S3 Infrequent Access, and Glacier. With S3 Standard, it's really designed for heavy read, heavy write, a lot of I.O. It's your hot storage. S3 Gla or Amazon Glacier on the right side there is really designed for archive and it's four-tenths of a cent per gig per month, so it's very inexpensive for archive. And right in the middle there is S3 and frequent access, which is a nice warm area in the middle. It has the same I.O. performance characteristics as S3 standard, but it's priced in a way that's really designed 
for online storage, but it's really not for heavy I.O. And you can move data between these easily. So now we talked about what storage is on the cloud. How do you actually move data there from your systems? The most simple way would be something like S3 Sync. So S3 Sync is almost like rsync. You run the command, you sync, you source, you know, your source path and destination could be the S3 bucket. And it leverages things such as S3 multi-part upload, um, encryption at flight, encryption at rest, all this good stuff. There's third-party cloud connectors that act as backup agents, and they can natively talk to our storage services, whether it's S3 or Glacier. And of course, we're here to talk about Storage Gateway, and the Storage Gateway we're going to go into later on here in the session. For the backup products with cloud connectors, there's many out there. So Commvault, CloudBerry, NetApp has offerings, and there's several you can choose from. And in some cases, it may be even the same backup vendor that you use today for your on-prem backups. But with Storage Gateway, it comes in three flavors. It comes in file, volumes, and tape VTL. So with files, it's really cool because you export a file system from on-prem using common um, file access semantics, and the files that you drag and drop onto the gateway appear on S3 as a one-to-one -one mapping to an object. So what that means is you can write data to a filer on-prem that goes to S3, then access that in the cloud without any, um, any workarounds there. Um, volume mode exports to iSCSI block volume, and snapshots of that block volume can go to EBS snapshots and then be rehydrated in EC2 for use on the cloud. And with tape, tape mode, we export a virtual tape library and LTO drives over iSCSI. And this supports Amazon CloudWatch, CloudTrail, IAM, and KMS for encryption. And to provide a deeper look, I'm going to hand off to Peter. Okay. Thanks, David. Mm -hmm. So as David mentioned, there are three flavors of Storage Gateway. Why are there three flavors? Well, there are three flavors because you back up your data in different ways. If you're backing up individual files, you can deploy a file gateway, which connects via NFS to your backup server. Those files appear as objects in an S3 bucket that you own. If you're backing up block-based storage or volumes, you can deploy a volume gateway, and those volumes are stored in S3. And then you can also take periodic snapshots in EBS of those, of those volumes to restore from. If you're writing to physical media, to tapes today, then you can drop in a tape gateway and start writing to virtual tapes, which are stored in, um, in AWS, stored in S3, and then you can tier those tapes to Glacier for the lowest AWS storage costs. We have customers today backing up uh, files through File Gateway. Again, File Gateway connects through industry standards, through NFS. Um, those files are uploaded as objects in a, in a bucket that you own and that you manage um, in S3. And because you own and manage that bucket, you can apply lifecycle policies so that you can tier that data to S3 and frequent access and to Glacier. Um, file metadata is preserved as object metadata. Um, and, and there's a one-to-one -one mapping of those files to those objects. You can also apply versioning and cross-region replication. And because it's all up in um, AWS, you can restore from that by deploying a new gateway in, in EC2 and restoring from, um, from those files. An example of a customer that has deployed this solution is SAP. SAP was looking for a, an, an innovative way to back up 
um, their adaptive server enterprise databases, formerly known as um, Sybase, and they, they zeroed in on file gateway. So they connected their file gateway to their backup server. The um, adaptive server enterprises databases are dumped into the file gateway um, on premises. File gateway manages um, moving those databases to storage gateway and to, to, um, to AWS. And, and that's how they're backing up to the cloud. Another neat thing about this implementation is that they've also um, added a CloudWatch event. So with that CloudWatch event, they're getting an SMS message letting them know when that upload has completed. So they're able to manage metrics, capture metrics, and understand what their RPO is for, for uploading that data to AWS. Um, another interesting point is that SAP has recently authored a white paper where they are recommending um, backing up their ASC to the cloud using file gateway as their reference architecture. So that's a real world customer example using file gateway. Now again, if you're backing up using physical tapes, you can drop in a, a tape gateway. Tape gateway is a virtual appliance that you can deploy on premises or an EC2. And what it does is it connects to your backup server using iSCSI and it presents a tape drive and a, tape, uh, and a media changer. And the, and the virtual tape library is all in AWS. You can create virtual tapes at the click of a button, and I'll actually demonstrate that during, a, during the demonstration. Um, those tapes reside in S3, and then again, you can tier those tapes to Glacier for, for the lowest cost storage. Data is compressed both in transit and at rest. There's also a local cache for your most frequently accessed data so that you can access that data really uh, quickly. And the data is secure and encrypted. And you can actually have an unlimited number of tapes, which is, which is great. You can have up to 1,500 tapes which are immediately available in the tape library. And then once you archive those tapes, you can have an unlimited number of tapes. Now, I understand that you may have made an investment and a commitment to some of these leading enterprise backup applications, whether it's Veeam's backup and replication, Veritas's net backup and backup exec, Commvault, EMC's Networker, Hewlett Packard's Data Protector, ArcServe, Microsoft's DPM. Um, and if you have made a commitment um, and an investment in one of these backup applications, that's great because you can continue to use these same backup applications with Tape Gateway. Tape Gateway, Tape Gateway again, presents itself as a tape library, and these applications see it as just another tape library. The only difference is rather than writing to real tapes, you're writing to virtual tapes, um, and those tapes are, are stored in AWS. So everybody wants to save money. Um, and many customers look at what, what's, what's something like this going to cost? Well, Sony's new media solutions came across this very, um, this very dilemma. And let me tell you a little bit about Sony new media solutions. Uh, this is the division of Sony that's responsible for disseminating content from their movie studios, from their music, uh, music labels, from their video game um, labels, and from broadcasters. And not only are they responsible for disseminating and distributing that content, but they're also responsible for archiving that content. And they were archiving it on physical tape. Um, and they came to a point in time where they needed to replace that tape infrastructure. They were writing about, they had about 20 petabytes of data and they were writing and adding a petabyte every quarter. So a good amount of data. Now I'd like for you to focus on the dark blue line. 
The dark blue line represents their on-premises costs. And you can see the spikes punctuated by those pink dots. That's, those are the points in time where they had to replace that physical um, tape infrastructure, spending millions of dollars on that. And you can see that in that first year, there's a very high cost where, they, where they, there's that capital expenditure. Then the costs go down because they've already, they've already spent that money. Now they're just buying some tapes and some, some administrative um, costs. And then, it, and then it dips below the yellow line. Now the yellow line is the cost of storing this data, the same amount of data, in Glacier. And you can see in one point it even dips a little bit below. But then in the fifth year, again, they need to replace that physical infrastructure. And then it spikes up again. So using this analysis, and it's a really nice analysis, uh, they, can, they, they estimated that they would save over five years to, a little over $2 million, $2.2 million. Over seven years, they would save about $5.5 million. The other interesting point here, aside from the cost savings, from my point of view, is, is the predictability. You can see with the yellow line, the glacier cost, it's very predictable. You know what you're going to be spending year after year as long as you know how much data you're writing. Whereas with the physical tape infrastructure, you know, it could break down, you might need to replace it, et cetera. Now you might be thinking, okay, so Sony's a big company. I, I work at a smaller company. What about, what about for a smaller company? Well, I was recently working with a smaller company. Uh, this was a regional utility company. And this particular company was writing about 100 terabytes of data every month. And on average, they were doing one tape retrieval, and they were keeping their data for one year. On the, uh, the left-hand side, you can see the blue, and that's the cost for storing the data using Tape Gateway in AWS. So there's that, that bar um, associated with archiving uh, those tapes in Glacier. There's a nominal fee for writing data via the gateway, which caps out at $125 a month. There's the data transfer out for one tape. And there's an admin, a little bit of an admin time to manage this operation. Co compare and contrast that with the right-hand side, the pink side, which is what their actual costs are with the physical tape infrastructure. So you can see there's a sizable amount of storage uh, or, or costs associated with off-site storage. There's the tape media cost, so they're buying tapes every month. There's the, the cost of the, of the robotic tape library, which again is spread out over the life of the library. There's the tape library maintenance, which might be an annual contract. And then there's admin time. You can see the admin time portion here is a lot larger. Um, and this might not be the case for everybody, but in this one particular example, this customer had an admin who was actually driving tapes between two different sites and their data center every single day. And I think we can all agree that that, that, that person can, uh, can, can, be, can have a little bit more um, you know, useful things to do than driving tapes around. Okay. So let's look at some of the benefits. And there, there, there really are a, a number of benefits that you can achieve. But the, the, you know, the first one here is, I think, very important. It's a seamless replacement of your existing, existing systems and workflows. And I've alluded to this before. If you're using one of those backup applications and you have um, backup uh, policies and backup procedures that you use today, you can continue to use those exact same policies and procedures that you're using today. You just drop in Tape Gateway. And I'm going to show you how we do that in, in this demonstration. Um, and again, st you start writing to virtual tapes as opposed to physical tapes. The second point, reduce maintenance cost. Again, you're eliminating that physical infrastructure, just, just as we saw in the Sony example. Your, your costs are, have become a lot more predictable, so it's easier to plan. 
You get all the security and durability that AWS affords, the, the military-grade encryption, the, the 11.9's durability. And this last point is also very, very important. I think it's, it's, it's accessibility, right? So you can access these virtual tapes. They're, they're in the cloud. You can access them literally from anywhere in the world. And we had a recent example during the hurricane, uh, Hurricane Harvey that hit Houston. We had a customer of ours that was using Tape Gateway, storing virtual tapes, that called us in a panic. Their data center literally was underwater. Their tape library was underwater. And they called our support team, and our support team was able to spin up a new gateway in the cloud and help them to start restoring those tapes, those virtual tapes, immediately, that moment. So I think, again, accessibility um, is, is very, very important. All right, who's ready for a demo? Yeah. <laughs> All right, so just a quick recap of how we're gonna, what we're going to show here. I'm going to show you in less than 10 minutes how we can remove the physical tape infrastructure and plug in tape gateway. So we're going to create a new tape gateway. We're going to create some virtual tapes at the click of a button. We're not going to have to unwrap tapes and purchase tapes and go and run them and plug them into a tape library. We're going to connect tape gateway to our backup application using iSCSI. We're going to import those tapes into the backup application. We'll kick off a backup, and then we'll archive a tape. All right, so when you log on to um, Storage Gateway, you'll go to aws.amazon.com slash storage gateway. You'll be presented with this getting started page. Oops. And you'll click the blue get started button. Then you, again, you have those three flavors of Storage Gateway. You have File Gateway, Volume Gateway, and Tape Gateway. Again, in this example, we'll click uh, Tape Gateway. Click Next, and then you select the host platform. Again, if you're deploying this on-premises, you, uh, you can click VMware or, or, or um, Hyper-V. And you can just click the button to download the image and, again, install that in that environment. In this example, what we'll do is we'll show you how to deploy it in EC2. We'll click EC2, and then we'll click Launch with AWS Marketplace. So we have Storage Gateway in the Marketplace. So that takes us to the Marketplace. <coughs> then what, the first thing you want to do is just select the region and then click Continue. You can, click, you can use one click or use Manual Launch. I like to use Manual Launch because we have a few more um, options to select. Again, select the region that you want to deploy this in. And that takes us to EC2. We'll just confirm the EC2 instance type, which in this case, the default is the M4 Extra Large. Then we want to add storage. Every storage gateway has a local cache. Um, tape gateway also has an upload buffer. So we want to create those two disks. And again, whether you're deploying this on-premises or in EC2, we want, to we want to add those two disks. And that's what we're doing here. The minimum recommended size of those disks is 150 gigabytes. So we'll add those two disks here. Then we'll configure the security groups. Again, we'll take the default here. Of 
course, you can, you can edit the, the, the default, the, the security groups as you, as you seem fit. But in this case, in this example, I'll just uh, accept the defaults. We'll click Launch. We'll select our key pair so that we can log on to this machine uh, later on if we need to. And then we'll click Launch Instance. So this is launching our storage gateway instance in EC2. There it is, that M4 extra large. We can see that it's running. And regardless of whether you're deploying storage gateway on premises in a VM environment or in EC2, what we want to do is take note of the IP address. The IP address, we'll take that, we'll copy that, and we'll go back to the storage gateway uh, creation wizard, and we're going to plug in that IP address here. What this is going to do is it's going to associate my AWS account with that storage gateway. So we'll plug in the IP address here, and we'll click Connect to Gateway. And then we'll add a little bit of information about this gateway. We'll add the, the time zone. We'll give it a name. Every storage gateway deserves to have a name. So in this, we'll, we'll, we'll select reInvent here. And then we'll pick the backup application. Again, you can pick any one of these supported backup applications. I happen to be using Veeams. And what that will do is it will set the appropriate media changer type. We'll click Activate Gateway, and we're almost home. The gateway is now active. It's looking for those two disks that I just created for the cache and the upload buffer. And there they are, those 250 gigabyte disks. We'll assign one as the upload, upload buffer. We'll assign the other one as the cache. That other 10 gigabyte one is uh, the default EC2 instance. We'll click Save and Continue. All right, and there's our gateway. Just like that, we have a new gateway. It's running, and there's zero tapes. So let's go ahead and create some tapes. We'll click Create Tapes. We can select, again, at the click of a button, as I mentioned before, we'll create five tapes, and then we can select the capacity. Um, I happen to be using LTO4 tapes before, so I'll go ahead and create some tapes that are 800 gigabytes each, just like, just like LTO4 tapes, but you can create tapes that are 1.5 terabytes or 2.5 terabytes each. And important to note, you're not paying for that capacity. You're only paying for what you write. So it really doesn't matter. It's, it's really more about maintaining your, the same backup workflows and policies that you had before. We'll give, the, we'll give the tapes a barcode prefix. In this case, again, I'll sticking with the, with the reInvent theme. And we'll create some tapes. And just like that, we've created five tapes. They're creating, and now they're available. Okay. So we're done with that. We've created Storage Gateway. We've created some tapes. Let's go to our backup application. Again, it's Veeam. I launched the iSCSI properties. I'm going to plug in the same IP address here of my Storage Gateway, and that will connect that Storage Gateway with, with this machine. We'll see all the tape drives. Storage Gateway will present 10 tape drives, and we'll connect each one of those individually, and then click OK. Now Storage Gateway is connected. Now I can go into Veeam in my backup application, and I can see under libraries, I see AWS Gateway VTL. So we're all connected here. So now what we can do is we can import those tapes. We'll click import those tapes. We'll just confirm that action, because that's what Veeam is asking us to do. We'll click on media. And there you go. We just imported those five tapes, and now we want to uh, inventory those tapes to get a little bit more information about those tapes. We'll right-click, click Inventory Library, 
Again, confirm that action. And now we should go, we should see on those tapes, we can see now those tapes, the 800 gigabyte capacity for each one of those tapes. All right, so now that we have those tapes, let's go ahead and kick off a backup. We'll click tape job, and we'll click, click a backup. And Veeam will ask us for a few things here. It'll ask us to name the backup, and again, sticking with that reInvent theme, we'll, we'll, give it a, we'll give it a name. We'll then select our backup files. I have a backup job that I created earlier. We'll click on that, we'll click OK. Again, we'll, we'll create a full backup. You can, you can choose whether you want to do a full backup or incremental backups. There's a couple of options here, whether or not you want to eject the tape after you're done or not. Every backup application is a little different here. Um, you can schedule the job, but what we're gonna do here is we're just gonna kick that off automatically. And we'll run it right now. And I'm not gonna, wait you, I'm not gonna make you wait here while that whole backup completes. We're gonna actually fast forward a little bit. And we can see that backup job is running. And almost done. Okay, success. The tape job, that, that tape backup job is done. And we can see now that that first, that drive one, the tape ending in 72, has now 700 gigabytes free. So we wrote approximately 100 gigabytes. So if you go back to Storage Gateway, let's click refresh, we'll see that tape that ends in 72 has some data written to it, about, about 100 gigabytes. All right, pretty easy, right? Let's go back now. Now we want to archive that tape. To archive a tape, you go to your backup application, we'll eject it from its tape drive, and then we'll export it. Some backup applications call it export, some call it eject. In this case, it's a little bit of both. We'll export that tape, and then once, once Storage Gateway gets that iSCSI command to eject the tape or export the tape, we move that tape to Glacier. So again, you want, you, you're getting that lowest cost storage. So again, we'll, let me uh, click refresh here, and that tape will disappear. It, now it's in, it's in archive. So if I search for the reInvent uh, barcode prefix, there's that tape, and we can see that it's been archived. Once a tape has been archived, it's good. You can, you can leave it there forever, or you can retrieve it. You can click Actions, Retrieve, and now you can pick a, any gateway you want to retrieve that tape to. And that's what we were talking about before. So that tape now is in a retrieving status, and it'll take three to five hours for that tape to essentially thaw um, from, uh, from, from Glacier. All right, so that's our demo. Thank you. So with that, I'm gonna turn it over to Jesse, who's gonna show us how you really do it. <laughs> Thank you, Peter. Thanks. All right, so I'm Jesse Marnick. I'm the Infrastructure Services Manager at Southern Oregon University. 
And I'm going to tell you a little bit about our process of doing what Peter just went through and, and kind of some of the background that also delves into a little bit of what David was talking about. Uh, so first, Southern Oregon University is a public liberal arts school in the Northwest. We serve uh, just over 6,000 students and employ over 1,000 staff and faculty. So um, we are a state institution, which means that our funding comes from a combination of tuition from our students and from state budgets. And um, like um, many other state organizations and higher education institutions, we're increasingly you know, feeling the pressure of our, our tight budgets and, and problems with state funding and, and higher education not getting uh, you know, the money that we need to, to thrive and to um, you know, move into the, the, the modern uh, technology world in some cases. So uh, my team, which uh, for infrastructure is myself, uh, I split my time between the network and telecom side of infrastructure and the enterprise applications and storage side. And so the enterprise applications and storage side has uh, three people and half of my time to manage 16,000 user accounts, 1,000 end user machines, multi-user machines, virtual machines in our vSphere cluster and over 100 applications that are either enterprise applications or applications we've deployed or applications we have to support even if they're vendor hosted. There's still some uh, time and resources that come from my team to support those applications. So we don't have a lot of time to support all of the things we have and so any savings that we can get from a human resource perspective is huge for us. So that was um, one of the, the driving factors in terms of the savings that we got moving to AWS uh, was that we got a lot of time back and a lot of the hassles that we had to deal with with physical tapes were alleviated or relieved. So, um, so in the beginning, like many, um, we had tapes. So our process was uh, someone would go in, um, cycle the tapes out of the tape drive, uh, put it in a suitcase, the suitcase gets picked up and they drive it off site. So I think that's the process that many people do. That's kind of the standard you need to get your tapes off site. So that uh, accomplished one of our goals as far as disaster recovery, which was to have our tapes off site. Uh, but we were still in the business of maintaining the tapes, the tape libraries, uh, the care and feeding of the tapes and the tape libraries as David mentioned. So. Um, it, it didn't really align with all of our goals in terms of supporting the university. Everything that we need, we need to do and the decisions we make in IT need to support the mission of our organization. And higher education, that's not backups and making sure that computers are happy. It's really educating students and making sure that they're you know, getting out the door with something useful, whether that's a degree or a certificate or um, you know, being more ready to enter the job market or, and lead successful lives. So, Taking care of tape libraries didn't really meet any of those goals. You know, we were wasting time fixing them. They would break down. We'd have to buy new ones, which, uh, as I think Peter pointed out, there's a large hardware cost every few years if you need to move on to either a new LTO format uh, or just because the hardware breaks. So we didn't want to keep maintaining tape libraries. We knew we wanted to get out of tape. Uh, and there was a couple things that we needed to look for in a new backup solution. So one was providing a reliable backup solution that would help meet the university's goals, uh, which you know, includes having reliable data. Um, you know, we need to be able to keep the university running even through uh, disasters or um, inclement weather or you know, any types of hardware, fa hardware failures on campus. So uh, we needed something that would provide good disaster recovery was one. So, um, as we already talked about, we got to get the tapes off site because this could happen. So there's fires uh, in data centers. Your UPS can blow up. I know of, I've worked uh, at a place where UPS blew up, and I know of another uh, educational institution where they had UPS fires, two of them actually. 
Um, so this could be your data center, so you need to get your tapes off-site, or get your data off-site, right? You gotta get it at least out of one place. And tapes did that for us, they were outside of the building. Uh, but we live in the Northwest, and so we're always afraid of the big earthquake that's gonna happen. So sooner or later, in the next 500 years, supposedly, there's gonna be a huge earthquake, it's gonna completely destroy the West Coast, and the Northwest will be um, you know, horribly impacted. So we're right there um, in Ashland, Oregon, and so we can pretty much expect that there's gonna be a lot of infrastructure issues within our region. You know, we might not be able to get to our offsite data if our local data is destroyed. And this could be days or weeks before we have the ability to get to our data and could be even longer before we can have new hardware shipped to us to actually get our data off of physical tapes. So that doesn't really help us. So our other options are we could colo, either self-managed or with a managed service provider, but we could get our data physically away from the Northwest. Um, or we could work with a cloud provider like AWS or uh, you know, any other cloud provider. We chose AWS. Um, so when we're looking through what we wanted to pick for our replacement for tapes, you know, we, we already have Veeam, so uh, Peter's demonstration was very uh, reminiscent of the things that I did going through and testing our process. So, uh, we already knew we wanted to stick with Veeam because we were happy with it. Uh, we wanted to keep our process simple. We were hoping to save money, um, and we wanted to make sure that we would be prepared for disaster recovery now and in the future. You know, we wanted to make sure that we were planning ahead and not just kind of keeping our status quo. So the reason we chose AWS as our cloud provider um, was because it was really easy. Uh, I personally, when I want to evaluate a product, don't want to have to sign a contract or even necessarily talk to a vendor before I can try out their product. And it's not usually the case that that is possible, but uh, with AWS it was. I downloaded the OVA file, I uh, put it up in our VMware uh, infrastructure on site, and within a few hours I had a uh, virtual tape library or, or, uh, or tape gateway up and running and I could upload tapes. Um, so. We got to that point by performing some research, which was really just Googling what the cloud providers we could use with Veeam were, and we were attracted to AWS because of the low cost of Glacier. So that was really it. We, we knew we needed something that was low cost, and we didn't have any extra money to make this change, so we needed something we were going for. What's the cheapest way we can get data in the cloud? What, how can we, what's gonna be our lowest cost? And uh, AWS had the prices for Glacier posted, so we knew that what we were getting into and we could start testing. So we did, we downloaded the OVA, got it going, and started working with it. So this is our, our environment, simplified uh, a bit, because we have more than one tape gateway, but this is really it. We've got our uh, vSphere cluster and a few physical Windows servers, that's what we're backing up. Uh, we have user shares and department shares, and then uh, a plethora of virtual servers, and then a few physical Windows servers, mostly for redundancy. So then uh, all that is backed up on disk, for, uh, by Veeam and encrypted on disk on a NAS. And then we perform our tape backups through the gateway to S3. Um, luckily, Veeam has a, a box you can check to just export media after completion. And so we automatically export everything we back up right away. We don't keep anything in S3. You could and then either script or manually work out a process for when you want to archive. But we archive everything right away. We just want it to go right to Glacier as soon as we put it in AWS to keep our costs as low as possible. So this is a approximation of our backup schedule. 
So, uh, like I said, we do uh, on-disk backups of all of our uh, servers and data that we're, we're backing up. And so we keep those on disk for 30 days. And then throughout the month, we'll send a full backup of that month's data uh, via the tape gateway up to AWS. So you can see some of the jobs will take a matter of hours, and some of them actually take a matter of days. For some of the jobs we have that are 9 to 12 terabytes, it'll take a few days for all of that to get up through the tape gateway into AWS. So we're able to run uh, all of our jobs with two gateways, and we just have the jobs staggered. Uh, there's some overlap that you can't see here where we're running on both gateways, but uh, we get everything up there within a month, and we have about 30 terabytes of data we upload every month. So then we retain our tapes in Glacier for 400 days, and then we delete them using a script. And we um, have uh, some scripts also in place to automate the process of creating the tapes that Peter went through and importing those tapes into Veeam. Just some quick PowerShell scripts to uh, import the tapes into Veeam, and uh, I think a Python script to generate the tapes. So for tape deletion, as I said, we delete tapes older than 400 days. So this matches our physical tape retention policy of a year and then gives us a little over a month just for you know, funging the date a little or just having just a little extra because I like the idea of getting just one month extra. So I'm going to go through just the script we have here. So this is a Python script. We just import Boto3. Uh, we're running this on site now, but it could be run through a Lambda function, which is something that we're going to work towards doing in the future is moving that uh, off of our site. So we go through here, uh, we just set our variable for we want tapes loaded in 400 days. We then uh, use the built-in uh, client uh, library in Boto3 to get our gateway. We retrieve the, all of the archive tapes we have, and then we convert uh, the timestamp on all those tapes into UTC for the completion time of when the job finished on that tape. Uh, and then we have those in a list. And then for all of the tapes that, that match that criteria of being older than 400 days, we just go through and delete the tape. So this runs every day and just deletes all of our old tapes. And we've got, uh, I included just some code that we have. You've, uh, uh, describe tape our archives function will page the tapes that you get out there. So we have a little marker um, to know that we just have a page and that there's another page we should go get. And we run, when we run out of those markers, we know that there's no more tapes. And we exit the loop. So. Uh, this isn't the entire script. Um, I'd be happy to make the script available to anyone who is interested, as well as the scripts we use to uh, automate the tape import into Veeam, as well as the creation of tapes. Um, so then once we have our tapes up there, uh, tape recovery is pretty straightforward. It's very similar to just doing a tape recovery from an on-site library. So I go into Veeam, and I say I want to perform a recovery on this job. It'll tell me, well, you need to have this tape. So I'll have to go into AWS. I'll search in the gateway the same way that Peter did when he was showing you that the reInvent tape had been archived. So we'll go in there, search for the, the tape barcode that we got from Veeam, check the box, click Retrieve Tape. And then a few hours later, it'll be available in our gateway, and we can start the restore in Veeam. So from the Veeam perspective, it's really no different than having an on-site tape library from the deployment the archiving of tapes and the retrieval of tapes, it, it's all just the same as if you had an on-site tape library. So the iSCSI initiator, like Peter showed you, um, you know, we, I even scripted that when I was starting it because I didn't want to have to go through and click and connect one every single time because I probably went through four different tape gateways just playing with it and destroying it the first time. So um, 
it's, it was really easy to implement, and that's the reason we stuck with it. So as far as what we would actually do in a disaster to recover, well, currently our, our default recovery option would be, well, if we need to get some data from six months ago because someone deleted something, would be just restore it back to our existing gateways to our campus in Ashland and restore it through Veeam. And so that's kind of the process that I just showed you. I'd just go into Veeam and say, okay, recover this tape and get through it. We also happen to have a second site in Medford, Oregon, 14 miles away, so if we had a physical site issue like a exploding UPS or a fire or some sort of lockdown where we couldn't get into our data center but we needed to restore some data, or we could drive down the road, set up a gateway, and just restore there. So that would also be a fairly minimal change in that process. Uh, our data is stored in the US East Virginia uh, location, so that really accomplished our, our disaster recovery goals by getting our data physically away from the Northwest. So you know, the, the main national disaster that we wanted to be prepared, prepared for was an earthquake, and by moving our data into Northern Virginia, we've, we've accomplished that. So all of our data right now is backed up on site for 30 days, and then after 30 days, we get a full backup shipped off to the East Coast, and there it stays for a year before it's deleted. And that costs us around $2,000 a month. So because we started deleting, which is actually very recent for us, it's actually gone down a little bit. It's a little under $2,000 a month right now. Uh, but that $2,000 a month uh, saves us both in terms of the cost of having our tapes carted off-site and paying a student worker or someone on my staff's time to feed the tapes and pull them out and organize them and make sure that we're getting the right tapes and sending the right tapes back, uh, as well as um, the the time that that took away from my team, student workers that could be working on something else, to do those repairs, to just plan on the fact that we're gonna need to spend hours every week replacing tapes and fixing the tape libraries. And so that, that's made a, a big difference to not worry about those things. You know, not just the time itself, but the peace of mind of not having to worry about our tape libraries breaking all the time. So that means that we can spend our time uh, helping the university. So, you know, as a university in an industry that is struggling, higher education, uh, we have a need to be more competitive. And so to differentiate ourselves from other universities, we need to offer better services. We need to uh, be more mobile friendly. We need to, you know, offer services to our students that really allow them to move through the educational experience better and with less challenges. And so for my team to do that, we need to be spending less time worrying about something like backups. So it has also improved our um, disaster recovery capabilities. So from a risk perspective, that's a big thing for the university to be able to withstand a natural disaster as well as any type of localized disaster. And as an IT department, it makes us more confident in our ability to serve uh, the university's mission, that we are providing uh, services that help them accomplish their goals. And whoops, skip past that one. Yes, I would do it again. Um, we, I, I've enjoyed the experience of moving to AWS for tape backups. Uh, and we're excited to start some other new projects in the next few months. Uh, and uh, this project is, it was in no small part, uh, I think, the reason that we're now excited to move other parts of our infrastructure into AWS. We had a great experience uh, with their customer engagement teams, um, as well as whenever I had any questions or wanted to ask their team about, you know, how would we do this or what if we want to do this, uh, they've been very open to discussing options and. Um, you know, really trying to answer whatever questions we have. So 
I think I'm handing this over to someone for the next yeah. steps. I think just in terms of next steps, I think if, if you're thinking about using Tape Gateway and this sounds interesting, um, you can get started by, as I mentioned earlier, you can visit aws.amazon.com slash storage gateway. Um, you can drop by one of the, the, the demo booths. You can kind of see me or, or David or Jesse. 